Clinker Factor, the Cement Industry Podcast. Welcome to the Clinker Factor, a podcast from WCA, which looks at the cement industry's response to climate change around the world and other topics of interest. I'm Ian Riley, CEO of WCA, and your host on the Clinker Factor. Now, today we're going to do something a, a little different. I'm going to talk to Manon Burbage, who is our communications and policy manager about COP26. So Manon and I went uh, to Glasgow to uh, participate in COP26 uh, since the uh, cement industry is a significant emitter and the way in which we decarbonize is going to have a, a big impact on the industry's future. So I was happy that we saw uh, some of our other members there, uh, Dalmia Cement, uh, Blue Planet, A-Cube Cement, and uh, the Smart Surfaces Coalition. Before, before we uh, went up to COP, we issued a, a press release and, and calling on governments uh, to act and uh, to help the cement industry to take action on the climate. And in particular, we, we want the governments to promote a market uh, for low carbon concrete and, and in particular to, to use low carbon concrete in their own procurement to uh, create uh, incentives in terms of carbon pricing and help remove some of the roadblocks in introducing low carbon products in the product standards. So I think what came out of uh, COP was quite encouraging. And not only the, the primary agreement, so the main, main agreement at COP, but also the fact that there were uh, side agreements on other important topics like coal and deforestation uh, and methane. The sec second thing I think was encouraging was to see the, the extent to which uh, businesses were participating. So both industrial companies uh, and uh, a lot of uh, finance representatives. A, a third aspect was just in the mechanisms that were set up to review on an annual basis their NDCs on. So all of that seemed quite encouraging, even though some people were disappointed about the uh, central agreement. Uh, Manon, uh, the uh, event that uh, we attended was, was uh, the SIF. Maybe you'd like to introduce that. Yes. So the Sustainable Innovation Forum was a three-day side event that was uh, a run alongside uh, the Blue Zone and the Green Zone at COP26. And for those who don't know what that is, the Blue Zone is where the government uh, negotiations take place uh, primarily. And the Green Zone is a more civil society uh, exhibition event. So the Sustainable Innovation Forum was, was run by uh, the WCA climate partner, Climate Action, which is an events organisation that run conferences in the climate and sustainability space. And we were invited along to that event as institutional partners. And also Ian was invited to speak on a panel uh, called Deep Decarbonisation for the Big Emitters alongside the World Gold Council, Inviva, Roland Berger and Herbert Smith Freehills. Um, so Ian, maybe you want to take us through some of the key themes that you talked about on that panel and what our listeners can take away from it. Well, the panel gave me a chance to reiterate the, uh, the topics that we covered in the call to action for governments um, and to explain a little bit about where the cement industry is and the history of working on emission reductions in the cement industry. Uh, we, we also uh, talked a little bit about 
how people saw the uh, the shape that uh, the COP agreement was taking. Um, but I think it does also illustrate one of the challenges uh, of these events that go on for such a long time. In that, I think one of the things that happens after after a while is is that the differences between the situation in different industries, it's hard to get people to really pay attention to that. There's kind of a acclimatization to a message and, and I think people pay less attention at the end of one of these events than at the beginning. So we, we did our best to uh, uh, try to make it a little bit different, a little bit interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if we succeeded in doing that perhaps as one of the spectators you could uh, you could tell me or one of the audience you could tell me whether or not we did i think that it was an interesting panel you covered some good topics and if anyone's interested in going back and listening to the discussion that took place uh, you can register on the climate action website they're available for the next year i believe so you can uh, go and find out for yourself if it was worthwhile Good. And so I think another thing we heard a lot more about at, uh, at this COP, going back to the WCA conference in, in October, uh, was climate justice. Um, I really take that to mean two things. Uh, so one is that developed countries are going to have to provide some financial assistance uh, to developing countries um, for their decarbonization efforts. Uh, and the second thing uh, is the, um, the concept that the developing countries uh, will go at a different pace depending on their uh, situations. And I guess this is a theme that we're going to see running into the next two COPs in uh, Egypt and uh, uh, the UAE, uh, where this topic of, um, of climate justice and uh, uh, compensation uh, for you know, past emissions is going to probably be more to the forefront than it was in Glasgow and also how we hold developed nations accountable uh, for the payments that they commit to and how we uh, get those flows of finance moving to developing countries will be really interesting. Um, something I thought about as well that was interesting that came out of COP was the emphasis on resilience to the changing climate and adaptation and how we can help developing countries adapt because it's, uh, it's no good you know, if if a country has an extreme weather event and houses and businesses and economies get knocked flat and they build it up and then the next year an event comes back and it's worse and then they have to go down and start from scratch each time. And it got me thinking about how the cement and concrete industry could contribute to um, alleviating some of those issues with regards to building better and more resilient infrastructure. So I don't know whether you've had any thoughts on that, Ian. Yes, I think you're right. I think when, when we talk about these these payments from developed countries to developing countries, then a, a lot of that may well be directed towards uh, adaptation rather than mitigation. Um, and clearly, you know, we're at a 1.1, 1.2 degree increase already, and we're already seeing climate events that are more serious than uh, in the past. The prognosis for the next 10 years is that that's just going to, to get worse. So I, I think there will be more and more pressure to, to try to find ways to, to help developing countries with that. I mean, in the whole of human history, the Earth's climate has never fluctuated by more than a degree. So we're already beyond the realms of what uh, humans have ever had to deal with. So even 1.5 is uh, 
an unknown picture, let alone two or three degrees. So there's a real impetus to act um, and act now. Uh, did you see much of that um, urgency come out of COP? I think there was a sense of, um, of urgency. And I think if you, if you look at some of the announcements that have been made by, by companies in the last few months, there, there has been more said about what needs to happen in the next 10 years. You know, it's not just about net zero in 2050, which, you know, is, is, is for most companies several CEOs away. Uh, it's it's about what needs to happen now. So I, I do think that we are seeing um, a greater focus on the immediate future. Uh, but clearly, there isn't there isn't enough urgency yet on the part of either governments or companies to meet the 1.5 degree C goal. I think even if everybody implements the uh, not just the commitments, but also the policies that they've talked about, it's still something around 1.8. I think it might even be as high as three degrees. The commitments to date, I think, are about that three degrees. But I think if 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 you factor in things that have been that have been said but not yet formally committed to, then you you can uh, with a, an optimistic view of that you can get down to about one point eight. So as you say, a range of something like one point eight to three is the sort of outcome from uh, COP twenty six, which is is less uh, is less than where we were five years ago. Uh, but it clearly is is still well above 1.5. And something that struck me that came out of a lot of the presentations at the Sustainable Innovation Forum was the need for the private sector to act and the capacity that the private sector has to act. I think there was a figure like 70% of financial decisions in across the world are taken by private sector organisations. So, you know, there's a lot of scope for uh, companies to take action. And a quote that stuck with me really was, we need to stop waiting around and using a lack of policy from governments as an excuse. We should be doing things ourselves. Um, how much do you think that the cement industry can, can sort of take that and, and use that for action? Well, the critical role that government has uh, is in setting incentives and making sure incentives push the right kind of behaviour. So it, if you have a situation where it's free to throw things away, and whether that's CO2 or solid waste or whatever, then you, you will get that behavior. You know, people will throw things away. If you have a situation where you, um, there's a price to uh, throwing things away, uh, as for example, in the UK, there's a, a cost of nearly a hundred pounds a ton uh, for landfilling construction waste. Uh, so that's a big incentive uh, to, to recycle it in some way. So you, you can see that industry will respond to incentives, but if the incentives are not changed, then we'll continue to get uh, the same behavior as we've had in the past. So it really does, um, it, it's, all, it's all very well uh, saying we shouldn't wait for governments. And I think that, that works fine for uh, many industries where the cost of carbon mitigation is not very significant. But when you talk that, about the hard to abate sectors like cement and, and, and steel, then uh, it, it's not possible to compete today uh, if you're spending uh, what you would need to spend on carbon capture and storage uh, to, to get down to a, a zero carbon cement. So it really comes down to how, how a government's going to create an environment that will allow everybody to do what, uh, what they know is necessary. You think then um, for the cement industry specifically, 
the action needs to come first from the government. Well, I think the cement industry has been taking action for the last uh, 20 or so years. Um, and But the action is within the competitive framework that exists. So the energy efficiency and, and, and this sort of thing has uh, moving to alternative fuels has some return. And so it, it incentivizes the companies to, to make changes which both reduce costs and reduce uh, carbon emissions. But we know that to get to zero carbon is a big step. And the only technology we have today is carbon capture and storage, which is extremely expensive. But even allowing for that coming down in price over, over the next 10 years as, as uh, it becomes scaled, then a cement company that voluntarily did that in the in the current environment in the current within the current set of incentives would go out of business you know so so it it's it depends on the industry for for some industries it's possible to act without government um, uh, changing the incentives but when it comes to the hard to obey there needs to be some level playing field if the um, if some companies can continue to take no action uh, and the companies that take action are at a very significant competitive disadvantage, then clearly that doesn't work. At the WCA conference, one speaker mentioned that when it comes to climate change, we should put aside competition and instead collaborate. And so to what extent do you think that the cement industry can collaborate to reach net zero and to reach um, the levels of emissions reductions that we really need to start seeing? Yeah, so collaboration was a theme, as, as you quite rightly say, was a theme that came up a lot in, in, in the COP uh, events, um, and quite rightly so. So I think there's two, for the cement industry, certainly there's two types of collaboration. One is a cross-industry collaboration, uh, where we can learn from what other industries uh, are doing or have done. And then the other is collaboration along the supply chain, uh, which allows the uh, optimization of uh, carbon footprint based on you know what we know now and, and and how we can operate now and that's starting to happen we're starting to see uh, project owners uh, being willing at, at a very early stage in the project to engage with material suppliers as well as uh, contractors and specifiers and architects uh, to figure out how to reduce the carbon footprint of the the building or the infrastructure that, that they want to build. So we, we start to see this, this uh, um, cooperation along the supply chain. And, and there's a lot of mileage in that for, uh, for the cement and concrete industry to reduce the demand for the quantity of cement or the quantity of clinker in particular that we are producing, but at the same time uh, to, to satisfy the requirement for, for concrete. So it'll be it'll be a um, a challenge, I think, for all of the players because it's something new. But the, there's clearly potential, and a number of of, of the recently published roadmaps identify that potential. Mm. And we see a good example uh, that came out of COP of um, governments collaborating um, through the Industrial Deep Decarbonisation Initiative, uh, which saw the UK, uh, the UAE. India, Germany, and Canada supporting low carbon uh, concrete and steel in major public construction projects. So what can we sort of expect to see from initiatives like that? And what does that mean for the industry? Yes, I think this is, uh, it, it's a very big step forward. Governments around the world 
by a very significant portion of concrete, you know, somewhere between a third and a half of concrete is purchased by government or, or, or government um, bodies. And uh, if those uh, government government bodies uh, start to prefer uh, low carbon concrete, then we'll see quite a, a strong market driver to uh, produce concrete or to find ways to reduce the uh, carbon footprint of concrete. So we're seeing that already in, to a limited extent uh, in, in the UK, certainly with uh, some of the government projects, uh, HS2, and uh, some of the flood control projects that the Environment Agency yeah, is doing. And we, we also see it with private, um, with private developers. Or, uh, for example, in, um, in California, it, it's something that is, has been mentioned by a number of the concrete companies that we've, we've talked to that operate there, uh, US Concrete and Azinga, for example, in, in terms of, of the demands from technology companies when they're building new offices. So we, we do start to see uh, some examples of the end users demanding uh, lower carbon solutions. And, and I think that market driver is, is clearly one of the uh, ways in which the government can actually uh, support changes um, and in, encourage companies to move in, in, in the right way. And what more can uh, industry organizations that have a global reach like uh, the World Cement Association do in terms of collaboration to bring companies together to create really uh, positive solutions and um, ambitions for net zero? Because we have companies all over the world, so there's different regional uh, contexts, there's companies of different sizes. Um, how do we really get those together and sort of unite them in a, in a common goal? So in, in addition to the cross-industry and, and uh, supply chain collaboration and, and encouraging that collaboration, uh, one, one of the things that we can and that we, we, we do is to uh, help the members in uh, different parts of the world to learn from best practices in other areas. And I think this will be particularly useful in, in the case of new technologies. Uh, so uh, we already in the uh, Pegasus benchmarking uh, project have included measuring emissions and comparing emissions and, and uh, uh, looking at the practices that lead to low emissions. Uh, so this, this is uh, one uh, concrete way in which we can uh, help members to figure out what they can do. Uh, the other thing is that we're developing a, a methodology, uh, hopefully at some stage a tool, uh, but anyway, at this point, a methodology uh, that can be applied at the plant level so that cement companies can figure out uh, for their plant, what should their priorities be uh, in terms of, of decarbonization. And, and this will be looking at you know, what are the government policies, what is the availability of materials, you know, what are the local factors. Uh, and it, the purpose of the, the methodology is to allow each plant to set its own pathway uh, to decarbonization, taking account of the local factors, uh, in, including uh, government policy and, and, and the timing uh, expectations that government places on them. So those will be a couple of things that, that, that we can do. And uh, uh, as you know, it's, uh, it's something that we spend a, a good deal of our time uh, thinking about and, and uh, trying to uh, find new ways that we can uh, help the industry move forward. 
So really, if we were to summarise uh, COP26 and what it means for the cement industry, we would say that uh, collaboration is key, that we need uh, governments to come together to uh, create favourable market conditions and uh, create policy incentives that would allow low carbon concretes to enter the market. And we need regional um, and context specific solutions that have a common objective to reducing emissions to net zero. Is there anything that you would add to that? I think you've camped it very nicely, man. And uh, perhaps that's a, a great place to wrap up. So uh, thank you for chatting to me today. And thank you uh, to everyone for joining us. Thank you.